0: And that's right everybody, we are back on the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast. So happy you've joined me. I'm in my apartment this week, so I'm not at the racetrack, but I am joined virtually By the original Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast guest, Jordan Bianchi from SBNation.com. Jordan, how are you?
1: I am well. I was on the first two podcasts, and on each of those podcasts, you said you were going to come up with a name for this podcast, and you still haven't come up with a name yet?
0: That's correct, Jordan, yes. There's been no name at all. Uh, I believe the Untitled name was even just like a a spur-of-the-moment thing in the first episode. It was, and then here we are. Here we are still doing it uh a couple months later and no name for the podcast still but we're happy to have you back for uh your third appearance on the podcast especially because our fourth. Uh, fourth? fourth oh is that right yeah. I, oh sure yeah did. you did Daytona too a Daytona one yeah glad it was memorable yes <laughs> it's always memorable jordan when you're on the podcast especially when you are podcasting from minnesota is that correct Yes,
1: Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis,
0: Minnesota via Skype. So I hope that this um, audio will come through clearly to everybody. I'm a little bit concerned because we haven't really tested it out that much. So it could be a total disaster. But let's just try anyway to get into it and talk about Fontana. We both watched from home today. We watched on uh, Fox and listened to DW break things down. So uh, I'm sure we both enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm trying to say it with a straight face here, Jordan, <laughs> and you're just you're just blowing my cover. Okay, so Kyle Larson. Let's just start with Kyle Larson. Man, what the hell? where did this guy come from, Jordan?
1: Yeah, it, it's been building. I mean, you go back to fourteen, two thousand fourteen, and he had that great rookie season, and you could see it. You know, all the hype, and he's the next George, uh, Jeff Gordon, the next Tony Stewart, and everything else, and you could really see this. And then he struggled in fifteen. And, Last year, you kind of up and down. And then at the end, second half of last year, he really broke through. He had that first win at Michigan. You kind of thought, okay, this is the real deal. And this was really kind of, I thought, going into this year, a make or break, not a make or break year, but this was really a big year for him to kind of solidify all the hype that he's had. And he's certainly done it. I mean, three second place finishes, almost won the day 2500 gets that win today, and the thing is, is I don't think it's necessarily just Larson. I think he's a much more mature driver. Obviously, he's got more experience, and that's part of it. I think it's Chip Ganassi Racing as a whole as well. They have really committed to building better cars, and you can see that. Not with just Larson, but Jamie McMurray as well, who's been very solid through the opening weeks here this season. So, Chip Ganassi Racing has really raised their game, and as such, you know Kyle Larson is using that equipment and showcasing his ability.
0: Yeah, I mean... I, I I think it's a lot of the cars, for sure. I mean, that's that's obviously the biggest part of the sport. So I'm definitely not going to discount that. But I also think that Larson himself has improved. I feel like, you know, earlier in his career, even on the days when he'd have a great car, a super fast car, he would do something to screw it up. Like he would hit the wall <laughs> and it would be like, oh, geez, you know, Larson got himself in trouble again somehow. You know, I wonder if he knows how to finish these races. Um, and you know, I don't see him making those mistakes. And I also feel like he's not as committed to running the high line. Like, um, with the Fontana race, he was hooking the low lane a lot. Um, and he helped, it helped him pass Truex a couple times. Um, like, like below the apron kind Mm -hmm. of thing almost, you know, um, it, it was pretty crazy how low he was going almost to the grass and, and, uh you know that was where he was making some ground up so i i was impressed um overall with him from from the start of the season i mean he's he's been really great but particularly today he he closed it out and as he said in victory lane there you know there've been some questions at times about like does this guy know how to win a race you know he kept getting snookered at times late by by veteran guys or, or would make a mistake and uh it seemed like he closed it out today you know
1: It is, and I agree 100% with you about maturity and Larson and and really kind of adapting his game a little bit. And actually, not to tell my stuff too much, but my preview for this going into this weekend was a big thing Larson and how he's matured as a driver and how you go back to the Atlanta weekend and the Xfinity race, and the team kept telling him over and over during that race, run the low line, run the low line. You need to run the low line to run fast here. Forget the high line. And he did the Xfinity race, and he did a really good job. And that carried over to the cup race, and he ended up finishing second. And if you remember that race, late in the race, he ended up actually moving up high, and that opened the door for Keselowski to get around him. And he, he said afterward, you know what, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that, and I kind of you know learned a little bit there. So you can definitely see that this is kind of a process with him. And at one time, it was the high side. And like you said, he kept hitting the wall a lot of times, and that would damage good cars, and it would kind of take him out a little bit. And now, though, he's the driver who's really willing to adapt, and you saw it today. High line, low line, it didn't matter wherever his car was best, is that where he went, and that's really the evolution of a driver when you think about how young he is too, and really he's got this is his fourth full year now he's only going to get better. that's the scary thing with him
0: yeah, I definitely agree and and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he manages a, a full season um, running this well. you know it's a one thing to have it in a burst, but you've got to figure out how to stay on top and right now. He is on top. He's the points leader by 29 mm-hmm. um, over Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr.'s third. Um, it's it's a very interesting uh, point scenario right now. I mean, Jamie McMurray's all the way up to six. Ryan Blaney's seventh. Clint Boyer is eighth in points ahead of Kevin Harvick. Um, you know, it's just like there's some, there's some oddities going on right now. Eric Jones is 15th in points. Trevor Bain is ahead of Jimmy Johnson in points after um, five races. It's just uh, it's been a very interesting start to the year, and that includes um, some unusual people winning. In, in addition to Larson, I mean, you've had Newman. Um, it, you've had a situation where Hendrick hasn't won a race, Gibbs hasn't won a race, but you have those Chevys winning, Newman and Larson. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's very you know, even if you look at Stuart Haas Racing, Kurt Busch is the driver from SHR that's won instead of Kevin Harvick. Um, Joey Logano has no wins. And, you know, I know it's still early, but it's sort of surprising, isn't it, a little bit that that some of these big names um haven't broken through
1: yet? Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't even say they're not even you know, maybe Harvick at Atlanta when he you know he was leading dominated the race and was leading with eight to go or whatever when they had a penalty. You know Kyle Bush really hasn't come close though Denny Hamlin really hasn't come close. It's not only that the fact that they're not winning, it's not putting themselves in position to win. Jimmy Johnson hasn't been close to winning at all. You know they've had strong cars these drivers at various points in different races, but they haven't been there at the end of races to be, to, to really feel like you they're going to get this win and that's just the way it is and it is unusual when you look at Hendrick and you look at Joe Gibbs racing the two dominant organizations in this sport, really kind of the benchmark for everyone and, and they're shut out of victory lane and you know, you look at some of the guys who've had some strong runs earlier this year. You talk about Clint Boyer, two top ten finishes. And how about Daniel Suarez? He's got back-to-back top tens now, too.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I will say, though, that that Kyle Busch should have won Phoenix um, had he not... He was on his way to winning Phoenix that's until Logano blew the tire, so... But, that's true, that's true. You know, yeah, Suarez um, has is starting to come around a little bit. Um, Eric Jones has honestly looked really impressive. I know I mentioned him earlier, 15th in points, but he was gonna have a great day until um he had some, some late penalty or something like that. He ends up finishing twelfth, but he was on his way to a top five. It, it's very interesting. It's 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 not the usual names, I guess, that are up there um running up front at all these races. And and it seems like at the start of the season I feel like it's usually the same guys that are there every year. I don't know what's different about this year. Do you?
1: No, I I mean, there's a lot of reasons, maybe. I mean, you know, just bad luck. If you look at Jimmy Johnson, they've had a lot of weird things happen to them. Kevin Harvick's had really good cars, but his luck has been kind of bad, too. He blew the tire at Vegas. He got caught up in that chain reaction crash on on the opening lap today. It just seems like, you know, these big names are kind of just not having things work against them. And, you know, and we have an emerging class of young drivers that are coming into the sport and i really think that's coming into the forefront we've talked a lot about this over the years we've got all these young drivers and you look at it now and it's like they've established themselves a little bit more than they have in the past they've got they're with good teams they're with teams that are capable and now but with the, with the experience they have with chase elliott for example they're they're asserting themselves more and they're no longer just kind of they're young drivers and maybe one day they're going to do something and now you're looking at the kyle larsons and the chase elliott's now they're actually going out there and doing it. I think that's a big difference, too.
0: Yeah. Let's, as long as I'm sitting here staring at the standings, let's talk about some of the playoff points for, for a second because, you know, these are really starting to add up. I mean, it's only five races into the year, and Martin Truex Jr., for instance, already has eight playoff points. Now, a year ago, under the same situation, he'd have three playoff points essentially, or chase bonus points. Um, because he had one win. Well, now he's won three stages and he's won a race, so he has eight playoff points. I mean, by the time he goes into the playoffs, if he's going to be going up against drivers who, um, you know, haven't won a race that that are in the chase or whatever, he could have a thirty-point lead or something on some of those guys. You know,
1: yeah, absolutely. And you go back to last year, and he, you know, he dominated the regular season at times and led a lot of laps in in large chunks. And if he would have had those points, there's a really good possibility he probably would have advanced to Homestead, but he didn't. And it's changing the way these guys race a little bit, too. I mean, we heard Brad Keselowski say it after he won in Atlanta where, you know, previous years, you know, we'd get that early season win and you kind of start changing up your strategy a little bit. And you didn't care if you threw away points. You didn't care about if you threw away a bad race because you were kind of testing something for down the road when the playoffs start. Now, though, drivers have to maintain that intensity, and we're seeing it. They, you know, Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex Jr., they've got these wins. They're still going out there and being very aggressive and racing these races like they matter because they do.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Kozlowski, who's already a winner, how about his comeback
1: today?
0: How the hell did he finish (laughs) second? Oh, my God. I have no idea.
1: What a what a horrible way to begin to start a race. Not only do you get caught up in this chain reaction crash where you, you damage the nose of your car, or you damage the rear of it. Then three laps later, he gets spun out coming off a of turn four and, and goes through the infield. At that point, you're just thinking, man, he's gonna be lucky to finish this thing. He ends up coming back to finish second, and that really is a team though that is clicking. And they didn't have their crew chief today, by the way, either, which is another facet of this. They are working with you know Brian Wilson, who's serving as the interim crew chief. So they didn't have Paul Wolf, you know, calling the shots and everything. And that had to be a little bit you know unusual because you don't have the guy there who's usually directing things when you when you've got a damaged race car but they're still able to pull it off so testament to driver testament to the team and I you know looking it's really early in the season but you have to like where Penske's at because last year Penske was good, but they weren't great they kind of had a, a little bit of a down year because really on the intermediate tracks they didn't have the same speed as the Gibbs cars and, and, and at times the Hendrick cars and the Stuart Haas cars that doesn't be that isn't the case this year
0: yeah. Let's switch gears for a second, talk about another high finisher, um, Clint Boyer. Um, He was saying that after the race that he went over to his crew chief's hotel room uh, last night before the race. And it was the first time he'd ever done that to go over data. And he said on Friday night, um, he called his crew chief and they talked for a long time about what changes to make. And it sounds like these are things that he'd never done in his career Um, it's obviously something that he's really committed to at this point. He he realizes that the opportunity he has, and he's got to get this right. Um, do you see good things ahead for Boyer? I know you were a little bit iffy about him before.
1: Yeah, I mean, you go back, you know, he's been good at most weeks. I mean, he was strong at Daytona and got caught up into a wreck. He had a really good run at Atlanta, and he got caught up in a couple things and still had a good finish there. So the, the, they've had some good races. They just haven't had the finishes necessarily. And I'm encouraged. I mean, today was a really good run for them on a track, too, that Clint typically doesn't do well at. You look at his history of intermediate success, and it hasn't really been there. I mean, we, we talked about this before, but his – you know, he hasn't had a top five finish on an intermediate track since 2013 that, you know, that's not a recipe for a driver to win championships and be a contender under this formula because the tracks on on the schedule are mainly intermediate tracks. So this is Clint's last opportunity really with a big time team. And this was going to be a lot of pressure and he was going to have to come in there and and do the job because you look at Kurt and you look at Kevin and they are winning races and they're making the playoffs every year. And that's going to be the expectation for him. And, this was going to be a make-or-break year, and I was a little skeptical. And I, you know, It's still early, and who knows how this is going to turn out, but the early signs are encouraging. And it looks like, as you said, if he's you know talking with his crew chief about things that in the past he wasn't really doing, and that really says a lot about the teams he was with as well, this, this bodes well going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, so somebody that's not doing as well at the moment um, is Dale Jr. And I know that there's a lot of fans out there who – are curious um, as to whether they should be concerned yet about his lack of um, great finishes to start the year. He finishes 16th at Fontana. Um, now he has had some problems like, you know, you go back to Phoenix and he had brake issues and things like that. But at the same time, he hasn't shown um, a ton of speed as you might expect him to show. But, you know, at the same time, neither is Jimmy Johnson and he'll probably be okay. So, should fans worry about Dale Jr. Jordan?
1: No, I mean it's early in the season. You look at the drivers we talked about. Jimmy Johnson's had some, you know, bad runs this year. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is on among that list and Kevin Harvick is on there. No, I, it's early in the season. I will say this though. If you go back to last year before Dale got hurt, remember he was doing some he did some podcasts um and he said that the, the chemistry and, and the communication wasn't necessarily there with Grey guys. They were still working on that. They're trying to fine tune it and it wasn't to the level they needed at and then he got hurt, and he was been out of the car. So now he's coming back. So you have to wonder, you know, maybe while he was out of the car and he was listening on the radio, him and Greg were able to get on the same page and, and you know, improve that communication. But you still have to wonder if it's still if it's at the level they needed to and they're still trying to get there because this was an issue early season last year. He talked about it a lot. And they've had some goofy things happen to him. They had a brake pedal issue, as you said, at Phoenix. They also had a brake pedal issue today where Earnhardt said that the pedal went away for a couple laps and he couldn't figure that out. So, yeah, they, they've been snaked a little bit. Atlanta was a bad race for with Just a myriad assorted issues that happened there. But, you know, it, this is a team that is have a, is, has a question mark over them, and they're going to need some good runs here. There's a good stretch of tracks coming up, and if they don't really kind of right the ship here soon, yeah, I, I think that speculation is going to increase, and then you should be concerned. But I wouldn't be concerned right now.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of tend to be in the same boat. I just think it's so early. Yeah. Um, You know, he's honestly capable of going and winning Martinsville next week, as are a bunch of people, but I I feel like he's going to be okay. Um, You know, Hendrick as a whole, I I just find it too hard to get overly worked up about them. Um, Now, Kane, you could argue, you know, he showed some flashes um, at Atlanta. He had a really good comeback, but then he hasn't really um, done that much since then. You know, and, and obviously he doesn't have the results to back it up the last few years. So that's one guy where you could be like, oh, geez, you know, should I be worried? But I don't know. Um, obviously, Chase Elliott has shown that those cars have the speed. Johnson should be fine. Um, it's just weird circumstances, I think, for him. Um, he he, would, he had a really disappointing day today. I mean, um, I, I don't know. I mean, he ends up finishing 21st, but... It was like he was he was pinned a lap down almost the whole race after that earlier incident. Um, it was just he he could never really sort of rally back like Kevin Harvick did from two laps down, you know. So, um, but I I think he'll be okay. One thing I'm wondering, Jordan, um, did you
1: think that today's race was a, a good race? No, I didn't. I thought the end was good, but I think it was a race. Well. I think the race was a lot like we've seen other races this year where there was a dominant one or two cars and they kind of asserted themselves and, and led a bunch of laps and pulled away. And then there was some good racing in the middle of the pack and everything. But for the most part, I didn't think that today was that great. Part of that though is too, is I have really high expectations for Fontana because I think this is one of the most competitive tracks out there, but we just didn't see it. We didn't see the tire wear. We didn't see the strategies come into play during the middle portion of the race. We didn't see a lot of side-by-side racing and, Part of that was because Larson and Truex were so good. But for the most part, you know, it, with the exception of the restart, I, I didn't think today was that great.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Um, I think that NASCAR has been getting lucky with these crazy endings and weird finishes and things happening at the end of the races. Um, thanks a lot in part to you know, like BK Racing today setting up <laughs> late cautions um, with Greg Galding and uh, Corey LaJoy and stuff. But no, honestly, I mean, Fontana last year on my was it a good race poll thing that I do on Twitter it mm-hmm. had 90% approval rating. And I think the year before that, um, it, on my year-end list or whatever that, that I had made, I had put Fontana as the best race of the year. Um, and then you have the, the Denny Hamlin-Logano race from a few years ago. I mean, there, there's been some really spectacular races at Fontana the last few years. Yeah, and um, you have a very high standard of, of racing there. You can pass everywhere, and just for the most part today, even with the stages, I just didn't feel like it was that compelling of a race. As far as I mean, at one point, um, you know, Truex is out there with a eight and a half second lead or whatever, cruising around. Um, it it just. I feel like there's been more comers and goers in the past. The the tire wear didn't present itself as much as I thought it was going to. Yep. Obviously it played a big role strategy late, but it didn't it didn't result in anybody sort of fading or or, or coming on stronger at times. Um, and then the the end was frantic and it, it just it just seemed like Atlanta, it seemed like um, Vegas and Phoenix, where it's headed toward sort of a a relatively calm ending and then something crazy happens they have a bunch of cautions and the outcome changes you know and um i i'm worried now a little bit about the lower downforce package because our expectations were very high there was a lot of hype going into the season with it and what's the deal like what's happening i I don't really have the answer but i don't feel like certainly if, if the racing is the same as last year you could maybe argue that, but I don't think you could argue that it's better than last year, and it was supposed to be, you know?
1: It was, and it's. I don't think – I never thought this was going to be a cure I thought this was going to be a step in the direction, and there's obviously more that NASCAR needs to do, and we've, we've heard drivers talk about this, and Earnhardt's been very vocal about this. They need to focus on the front of the car. They've done a really good job, you know, getting the drivers the base packets that they have, this low downforce package. They've got a small spoiler, which is what the drivers want, and the cars are noticeably harder to control. We've seen that. But we've also heard the driver say we need more air underneath the car, and that this noseless car is just sucked to the ground so much, and it just keep it doesn't allow us to get side by side. It doesn't allow us to pull up on another car. And there are exceptions, obviously. Brad Keselowski today is a perfect example of a guy who, even with a damaged car, was able to still go out there and make passes and finish second because he had that you know had a good race car and was able to do that. But like you said, I mean, we've had really good finishes at all these races this year, but that doesn't mean the racing has been good. And for the most part, I, I think it's been lackluster and it's obviously more work needs to be done. And I know NASCAR is going to work on that and they're going to, you know, continue to take steps. But as they're taking these steps, we always say that the crew chiefs and the engineers are, are working feverishly to regain this loss downforce. So it's a game that, you know, NASCAR's playing with, with the teams. And it just always seems like NASCAR is a little bit further behind than the teams are. And no matter what they do, the teams always have a counter to this. So, I think that I hope the solution is that if you, you fix the front of the cars and lift up the nose, that makes it better. But it does feel like something more needs to be done, maybe something more dramatic.
0: What's your prediction for what the um, was a good race poll on Twitter will say about this race? I'm going to go ahead and I will say that um, 75% will say it was a good race, and 25% will say. That it was a bad race, and I can tell you um, real quick about how that that compares to the other races this year. Um, the highest race so far this year was the Daytona 500, was 7525. Phoenix was 7238. Vegas was 62 or sorry, 7228. Uh, Vegas was 6238. Atlanta was 4654. So I'm saying that uh, it will tie Daytona 500 for the highest of this year. What's your percentage
1: guess? Wow, uh, that's a really tough question. I think the finish, and I think most people look at races as good as good races if the finish is really good, and the finish was good in this. But I don't think people are going to be that high on it just because the middle portion of this, really for the most part, wasn't that good. So I'm going to say sixty-five right in there.
0: Sixty-five. Okay. Yep. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll we'll definitely see the results of that and be able to tell whether we're we're right or wrong. Um, Jordan, one thing that. Uh, I was whining about on Twitter today and I, I always tend to whine about when I'm at home watching the races is the commercials. I mean, I know it, today wasn't as bad as um, some of the races that I can remember, but just as a viewer, I don't, I don't know that NASCAR, that the executives understand how bad it is to sit there when you're not at the track as a viewer and you're trying to watch the race and And they cut away from it, not even, you know, with side by side race, uh, you know, picture in picture, whatever. They just cut away from it. And you're on Twitter and you're reading about this great battle for the lead or whatever, and you can't see it because you're watching some drug commercial. I mean, it's just maddening. Like, you watch most of the races from home. I I feel like that's fair to say. How Mm -hmm. do you deal with this as a viewer
1: every week? I rant on Twitter about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't think – I think Fox has do, does some things very, very well. I think Jeff Gordon is excellent in the booth, and I think he provides a lot of great analysis and insight. And I think Larry McReynolds is very prepared and pr- provides a lot of information, too, from C- Cruci's perspective. Other than that, though, I think Fox coverage does a disservice to viewers. And I don't think their production is very good. I don't like the fact that when there is good racing going on, for whatever reason, they tend to, to cut away from that to show uh, uh, something else that is – frankly irrelevant i think that sometimes their camera choices are not the best decisions because they 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 love these tight camera shots which if today was a perfect example they had these overhead camera shots and they were showing guys two three wide on these restarts, which is great and then all of a sudden they cut to a a close-up of a race car it's like no i want to see the action right and you know and we can we can get into the announcers and everything else and there's a lot to be said about that And, and but I think that a lot of NASCAR's issues, uh, you know, frankly, is that their TV partners, particularly Fox, I think NBC does a pretty good job, but their TV partners don't always do them the best service. And as you said, they cut these, they go to commercials at the strangest times. And I feel like they're they if they laid this out better, they would be doing a much better service to the consumer at home. Because when you you come back from a commercial and you show the announcers talking with very little action on the track, and then you go to another promo. And then you go to another commercial and then you come back. What are you doing there? To me, it's a lot like the NFL where we, you know, you've heard the NFL talk about this, where someone scores a touchdown, they go to commercial, come back, kick off, then they go to commercial again. That is not, that's doing a disservice to the viewer. And Roger Goodell has said, you know, we want to fix that. And I have said that for a long time, you have to treat NASCAR almost like a soccer match. And that soccer, if you watch it, there are no commercials from what, from Whistle, from the first half and the second half, there are no commercials in between the action, between the halves. And the only time you're going to see commercials is at the beginning of the game and at the end of the game, and that's it. And I think that's the best way to do it, because, you know, there's always things going on, and if you could figure out a way, and obviously there's, there's the economics of this, and you have to go to your partners and your sponsors and figure this out, but... Viewers are missing a lot, and I just don't think you know. We hear a lot about oh, the racing's not good. Well, I think sometimes the racing is actually pretty good. They're just not showing it, or they're not doing a good job of presenting it.
0: It's it's just really frustrating. I mean, like you mentioned, there was this one part late in the race. I mean, probably within 50 laps to go, maybe um, maybe even less than that. And they go to a commercial. They come back. They. Talk about some sponsored promo thing that, you know, they were showing the race real quick, but it was part of a commercial thing or, you know, part of some announcement. They're showing the guys on camera or whatever, and they go back to another commercial um, and they came back and they went back to another commercial. So it was like basically a few commercial breaks within a a span of like 10 or 15 minutes or something. And I guess they were trying to pack them in late because there hadn't been a lot of action yet this is what this was before the whole 20 to go thing where there mm-hmm. was all of a sudden a lot of cautions but it was like oh my god like i i mean i'm i'm watching this because um i am obviously very invested in what's going on i want to watch it and see what happens but what if you're a casual viewer how how are you supposed to pe- convince people who's just like the casual sports fan which nascar always seems like they're after these people mm-hmm. how are you supposed to convince these people to stay watching the broadcast if you keep cutting away from it and and march madness is on and you don't you think they're just going to sit there through the commercial and not switch the channel and then they're going to just come back later i think you you lose those
1: people and they missed the lead change late too which was a big deal and and you're right you're 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 100 right and i and to me it goes back to, to to the production and you you know setting this up and we heard a lot about this with the with the stages implementation this year was that this is what the television partners wanted because they wanted this these natural breaks to to pack in the commercials and give viewers an opportunity to step away, get a sandwich, you know, do whatever, come back and then watch the racing and that racing they would watch would be largely interrupted, kind of like they see in other sports sometimes. And frankly, it that doesn't seem to be the case case, and I don't have the numbers to break it down, it's something I'm working on, but I would like to see the number of commercials this year compared to last year, and, and how they're being spread apart, because it doesn't really seem that different. It Now, Fox has more opportunities to have run commercials in their stage breaks, but during the actual racing, it, it seems like that number is still pretty high. Yeah,
0: I know, I agree, I, and it's just, um, I, I, I don't think there's a great solution at this point, unfortunately, because... You know, both of these TV companies have, have dramatically overpaid for the product. So, but my my <laughs> um, my solution or or suggested proposal would be: what if there was some sort of a pay per view option where they said, okay, look, um, you know, it's it's sort of like sometimes you buy like an app, right, and you download mm-hmm. the free version of the app, and then if you want. And there's, like, all these ads on it interrupting your game or whatever. Um, But if you want, you can pay extra to have the ad-free version so it's not constantly interrupted. And if you like it that much, it's worth it to you. You pay. So what if there was something like that for NASCAR where they're like, okay, we're still going to have our free broadcast or, you know, our our regular broadcast. Uh, It it could be on cable, so I'm not going to necessarily say free, but... Um, we still have a regular broadcast with all our commercials. Now, if you hate the commercials and you don't want your race interrupted at all, uh, you can pay us ten bucks per race if you want pay-per-view option, and you will have a broadcast feed with no um, ads whatsoever. I mean, would you pay for that?
1: Uh, I would, but then I'm looking at it from Fox's perspective, and then they're going to have to go to their their sponsor their their their, sponsor, their sponsors, and say. Oh, by the way, uh, we're diverting a lot of the consumers to this channel. Now we're getting the money for this, and we're not going to give you a cut in your ads or anything. So I, I just think it would make it really difficult for them. Where all of a sudden they're promoting something that they're making more money on, while their sponsors are they're still going to their sponsors and saying, "Hey, we need money from you for the commercials." It, it would be an interesting. It's a good idea. I like it. I just don't think it's practical under this you know climate.
0: Yeah, but I don't think there'd be that many people that would do that option. I think there'd be. Um, you know, even if you had say 50,000 people that did that, that wouldn't make any sort of a dent really in the ratings, you know, I mean, like but it's
1: 50,000 people though, that aren't watching those commercials though, which is still 50,000 people.
0: Right. I know. But what I'm saying is like, um, the last two races before this Vegas and Phoenix, the ratings, the viewership from one year to the next went down by 1.2 million viewers. Um, mm-hmm. so I doubt that fifty thousand would be that much of an impact on ad sales or whatever. Okay, what you, know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it, they're thousand. That number is not going to show up in the ratings. I mean, even a hundred thousand is just a small dent. It, and I doubt you'd even have that many. But you'd they'd be making money, and maybe they wouldn't have to subject people to that much. And I don't know. Just a thought. I, I'm just I'm just frustrated by it, and I I feel like. I feel like those people who work in the NASCAR industry, because they're at the track every week and they don't watch the races, they watch them there and they catch some of them on TV, you know, out of the corner of their eye. But I feel like it's an underappreciated problem within it within the industry. The fans obviously recognize it because you all who are listening to this have to deal with it every week. But people like me who, you know, I've this is my first time this season in this position. And it's like, Oh yeah, this sucks. You know, I always see the tweets at the track of people being like, yeah, Oh my gosh, we'd love to see that, but we're on commercial. And I'm thinking, well, sucks for you, but I can see it. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I, hear you.
0: I, I can't, I can't really sympathize that much because I'm sitting there watching it. But, um, I don't know. It's
1: just, it's just frustrating, you know? I agree. And I, I think a lot can be said for, I think when I liked, I mean, I've come around to the stage idea. I wasn't for it at the beginning of the year. I'm I'm kind of more in favor of it now. But it goes back to something I said, which is, you know, I like heat races. I I like the fact that if you have a shorter main event and you've got heat races, you're going to create a lot of natural breaks where you can take commercials. You put those commercials in, and you're not going to have to take viewers away from the action then. So you come back, you have a 50-lap heat, and you can show that in its entirety. And then you go to some commercials, and then you come back and, and do another heat. And then you have the main event. And I I think there's a way to to formalize this, you know, beyond just the stage racing where everybody comes out ahead. The fans get good action uninterrupted. NASCAR gets an exciting product on the track where the drivers are always racing hard. And television has opportunities to take commercials and not have a bunch of irate viewers because they're angry that they're missing things. I I think there's a better way to do this.
0: Well, um, just to play devil's advocate on this, because I I do like the heat race concept and I... I was told that the reason that that didn't come to fruition is because NASCAR is worried about the sponsors being upset or fans being upset when, when a driver yeah. has early trouble and misses it. So you would have situations where, like, Keselowski comes back to finish second today, but, you know, in a heat race, uh, he would have been eliminated. You know, does that bother sure. you that those that chance for a comeback would no longer exist if the heat races were the case?
1: No, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's part of it, and you're going to have some big names that don't always advance, and obviously don't want all 39 drivers. And I think that was the issue they ran last year with the Xfinity Series, where all the drivers moved on. There was no eliminations. There, there was no guys not qualifying. That's part of it, and it's it adds a little bit of intrigue and it, and it would shake things up a little bit. And yeah, I can understand the perspective of hey, this you know NASCAR touts every race is an all star race. All our big names are here racing every week. And I get that, but you're still going to see Keselowski race in a heat race. You could even throw a last-chance race in there if you wanted to. You could have two heat races, and then everybody else who didn't qualify, guess what? You're getting lumped into a heat race or a last-chance race. We see that all the time at short-track races. So Keselowski would still have an opportunity then to, to rally back. This is what makes Eldora and the, the truck race every year is great. They have the heat races. Then they've got the last chance. Remember Norm Benning a couple years ago? That was a last-chance race. So there's a way to do this and, and where – everybody can get what they want
0: yeah well let's talk about the stages real quick though because i I do like the stages and i was arguing with people on twitter um during the race about them my my thing is i like them for a few reasons number one i like the playoff points concept that we touched on a little bit earlier because Mm -hmm. that's gonna help drivers like truex as you mentioned um possibly avoid early elimination in the chase and it's gonna take away some of the random elements of it where a really strong driver gets taken out early by this crazy format you know the crazy elimination format um i i so i'm in favor of that i also like the in race uh points because it does seem at times like the intensity picks up a little bit and i know they haven't changed a ton and, you know, you're not seeing dramatic things happen because that's impossible really. I mean, if they're spaced out, nobody's going to suddenly go faster because there's a point or two on the line, but they might race each other harder at times and, and there's that possibility. So I like that. And I also do like the breaks and I like the length of the breaks in between. You know, I got up, um, the first break today, I got up and got a snack out of the fridge. Um, had some cheese, grapes, tuna salad, crackers, and made that, so, you, you eat know, so healthy. Well, no, it was you know I had a little bit of a lunch thing going on and um, got got a, a little uh, juice and um, you know it was it was nice and you know I had time I didn't miss anything because I'm I'm over in the kitchen taking the stuff out but the TV still on and pit stops whatever and I didn't miss anything. Um, second uh, second break had a had a pee break. You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting there I'm like hey man I got to pee but I don't want to get up because there's ten laps to go in this uh, stage. So I'll just wait till I'm not going to miss anything. So you know I appreciated the P break. Um, you know I'm sure that's TMI, but I, I'm just saying that I don't mind these mind these breaks. And then on the other side of it, you get a very exciting restart. So I know fans are particularly upset about the caution laps the caution laps counting, and they wish that that wouldn't happen. But I feel like that would make the race so long if they didn't yeah. count those laps. So I don't know. I I like the stages. You know, I know people are hating on them, but I'm I'm down with it. I
1: I, I am much more open to it than I was. Um, I I see more positives of it than I did back when they announced it in January. Now, as you said, I, I like the fact that it does provide natural breaks for the viewers, for the people at the track. It, it, it's a good opportunity. And I like that we get the restarts. And I, I was always concerned that the length of the race was going to get extended and that these the breaks between the segments were going to be, you know, they're going to be five minutes and then just kind of keep creeping up. And the next thing you know, it's going to be 10 minutes. Um, and I will say, coincidentally or not, there does seem to be fewer debris cautions this year which maybe that's just a coincidence, maybe I'm wrong, but it does seem like there's fewer-degree cautions, so the races don't haven't gotten extended to some ungodly length uh, time-wise, and, and that's a good thing. And I like the fact that the regular season matters now and that how you perform in a regular season does have an impact in the playoffs, and that, that's a good thing. So I, I'm much more open to this than I was, and I like that, that you have a longer end segment, that really kind of rewards drivers who are good at, you know, over long runs and not just, you know, sprint racing. So there, there's some positives to this.
0: Do you know how many debris cautions there were at Fontana, Jordan?
1: I think there was zero today. Is there right? Maybe one? Zero debris cautions. And Mm. again, that might just be a coincidence, but (laughs) what a coincidence. Yeah. But I mean, if you go back, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me and it's a great thing to look at, but it does feel like there's fewer debris cautions this year and yeah me you know that's I just think, fun
0: i think that they're sitting up there and they're like okay look even if there could be debris unless it's a huge piece but we'll just clean the track at this at the stage break let's and and also i mean it almost feels too like they really want to get to the stage break they don't want it to yeah. they don't want the stages to end under caution so um like, for instance, there was that moment, um, I think, late in one of the stages where Danica Patrick got very out of shape. And she didn't spin. She saved it. But I almost feel like it, at times they've called cautions for stuff like that, like when it's been a long green yes. flag run.
1: They've been quick on the trigger, yeah.
0: Yes. And they did not. You know, it was toward the end of the stage, they held the whistle on that, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and waited till the stage was over. So I do think that those stage breaks definitely help um, – give some credibility to the officiating to be honest
1: no i I agree the one thing i keep coming back to with with the 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 stage and the formats and everything is are the drivers really racing that much harder because we heard that a lot you know the drivers. this is great this is you're really going to be ramped up we're going to be running hard now all the time and I don't know. I, I don't really feel like at the end of these stages, maybe in a couple instances here and there, but it really doesn't feel a lot different to me. The drivers really, the racing and the drivers and everything kind of seals the same And that it's just kind of a caution that happens. And the drivers like, okay, well, I was in the top 10. I get a point, but I don't feel like a driver, you know, running six is all of a sudden going to try some bonsai move because he wants an extra point to, to finish fifth. So that that is the one thing I go back to where I just I really don't see it on the track for me that that has improved the quality of racing.
0: Yeah, I mean I I did hear on uh, Dale Junior's podcast on the um, Dale Junior download or whatever he was talking about how it's kind of changed it in that um you know like if he's in tenth and he's has one point and they're like okay you know end of the stage is coming up and he's like gets all nervous trying to hang on to that mm-hmm. one point and and things like that so but it's at the same time it's not going to like you said it's not going to dramatically change something unless um i think you're close enough to have yes. a, a move and and if they're if they're already spread out and the stage's been running for a while nobody's close enough for the most part yeah. so you can you can only do so much i never bought into the fact that it was going to be a huge game changer in the racing yeah. that way i just i liked it for for the other reasons we talked about
1: I agree. I didn't buy a nude either, but I just – I remember that was the hard sell with this format though. Is I remember sitting there in Charlotte and listening to Denny Hamlin and Dale Jr. and, and Jeff Gordon and talk about how this was going to make these guys race harder and everything. I was like – I just – as you said, it, some of these tracks where they get really spread out, there's only so much you can do.
0: Yeah. Jordan, anything else that stuck out to you um, about uh, the Fontana race or um, anything so far this season that that you've taken away so far?
1: I feel like we're witnessing Jeff Gordon in 1995 with Kyle Larson in the, in the sense that this is a breakout year for him where he's going to win a bunch of races. And, and maybe it's not, it's not necessarily going to translate into a championship, but I really feel like this is his breakthrough moment where it's like he is becoming the real deal in a sense. And, and the hype that he's had throughout his career – now actually has substance to it, and I know it's only one win, but it's what happened before that, though too. The second place finishes, the consistency, the maturity. This really feels like a huge year for Kyle Larson.
0: Yeah. Uh, before we go, um, I did want to tell you one more stat that that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, and sorry to jump around a little bit on this, but while you were talking about Larson, I, I was thinking of it. Um, so the lead changes today, there was um, 17 lead changes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Last year's race, 26 lead changes. Oh. Um, in addition, as far as uh, quality passes, which is a loop data stat, last year there was 954 quality passes, today 867. So um, clearly there was less passing and there was mm-hmm. fewer lead changes. Um, that could contribute to why we felt that it wasn't uh, as compelling. But I definitely do agree with you on Kyle Larson. I don't know, you know, if I, the, the only difference between the, um, you know, the the Gordon example is 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 his race team going to be able to?
1: That's the big thing.
0: Yeah, consistently. I mean, because Gordon drove for Hendrick, and and over the years, you know, it was able to be that consistent. But will Ganassi be able to keep it up? We'll see. McMurray's obviously off to a good start as well. So we'll see. Um, I'm I'm going to be very interested to see if if there's a, a sixth different winner this season at Martinsville. If it's one of the usual suspects, or will we see somebody else sort of jump up there unexpectedly? Um, and with the new attitude coming into this, uh, you know, lately, not <laughs> not penalizing Austin Dillon, not penalizing Kyle Busch for their incidents,
1: uh, will Martinsville be a little bit rough? Maybe, perhaps. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be rough and tumble, and it's going to be interesting because you look at the guys who don't have wins. We talked about them, Denny Hanlon, Kyle Busch, Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick. They're all former Martinsville winners who usually do well there. Um, They're off to so-so starts in a lot of those cases. They kind of go into this race and need a really good finish.
0: Yeah. Jordan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, and uh, people can find your work on SBNation.com. I assume you're going to get back to writing right now.
1: Yes, working on a Brad Keselowski thing and obviously post-race coverage and lots of stuff throughout the week, obviously.
0: And you can follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Bianchi, which is spelled B-I-A-N-C-H-I. Did I get that right?
1: I think I did. That's correct, yes.
0: Yes. I was doing that off the top of my head and closing (laughs) my eyes trying to spell it. You know, yeah. (laughs) All right, Jordan, talk to you next time. Thanks. Always a pleasure. And we will talk to you this week on the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast with the 12 questions with AJ Almendinger. No social spotlight this week that I have planned because I wasn't at the track this week, so I wasn't able to get that. But I did have the 12 questions stored up. So listen for that on Wednesday. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Untitled Jeff
1: Glock podcast.